morning, Fellowship Church. This morning we got a reading from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Almighty God, Father, Son, Spirit, we are here today gathered in your name in awe of the work that you have done and are doing. And I just thank you so much for Jesus Christ the perfect mediator, fully divine, fully human, able to represent both sides and bring us back together, reconciling humanity to God and through his own flesh. Thank you for tasting death for me. Lord, in you we have hope, and in you we have salvation, and we praise your holy name. Please speak through Chris today as he brings the word. Please open the ears and the hearts of the people who are listening and equip us to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, you know, one of the reasons we read the scripture before the sermon is so you can have the context of what we're going to be talking about, because as we dive in, we're going to be, you know, breaking it down verse by verse and really trying to pull out of that what does God have for us and how we're supposed to live. But I have to confess that this week when I was reading this pastor, this, or pastor, 
passage that this song came to mind, and it's going to date me a little bit. I'm only human, born to make. Anybody remember that song back from, some of y'all weren't born probably back then, but um, that we're only human. And, and as humans, we struggle with questions, don't we? Like, for example, as a human, how many of us struggle with this question, am I significant? We search for significance in our life and in our job and, and in our family, but so many times, because we're searching for significance to somehow make us complete, we let fear creep in. The fear of being the last one picked in the line for a dodgeball or the fear of being passed over for that promotion or, or the fear of someone else getting the credit for the things that you do. We want to be significant. We want to be loved. Does anybody even care about me? And we have this deep longing in ourselves to be loved. And because we want that love so bad, we'll compromise. We'll believe lies. We'll cheapen love to somehow try to find our significance and value in that. And that's the next question. Do we have a purpose? Do we have value as humans. Do we have that? And the answer found in Jesus Christ is yes. This is the good news of the gospel, that you have significance in Christ. You are knit together in your mother's womb, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. How many of you want to be loved? Think about this. We just sang how he loves us, right? Do you believe it? Because if you understand the love of God, remember, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated that love to us. And he has given us a purpose. And he's given us a value. You know how you know I have value? You were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. So in Christ, you have value. You have purpose. You have significance. In Christ, remember, Jesus is better. In Christ, you'll find the best version of you because he is the creator of you. The best version of you, full of life and full of purpose, will be found in God. That's the beautiful part of the gospel, that he's even equipped you to do the good works which he set out before you to walk in them is what Ephesians 2.10 says. And he's given you gifts and talents so you could accomplish the purpose he has for you. If you feel like you're adrift right now, if you feel like you don't know your purpose or your identity or your value, turn to Christ. Step deeper into that walk with Christ. You see, we have a tendency as humans to really to, to veer or drift towards two extremes. One extreme is this, narcissism. We have a tendency to make ourselves God. Because inside of that, we try to define our significance. We try to define our purpose in him, which, by the way, that purpose tends to come out of outrage and, and other things that we see around us going wrong in the world. Or, or we try to find our value. We define it ourselves, but we define our value by comparing ourselves to others. But guess what? There's always someone better than us. We always fall short when we try to be our own God because somewhere inside we know we're lying to ourselves. We want that affirmation and that love from somewhere else, and it's found in a relationship with Christ. Now, the other end of the spectrum 
is materialism, the idea that no one has purpose. We're all just a clump of cells and just we have no purpose. We're just evolved from this and that and there is no purpose in life. We just live and we die and it's done. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that in Christ we have eternal life. That we get to live. That death is just a transition from this life to the next. That's the good news of the gospel. So if you want to live a life to the full, abundantly, it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because we've seen Jesus Christ walk in the flesh. Being tempted in every way we were, but without sin. And so we're going to look at that today, the humanity of Christ, Christ coming in the flesh. What does that mean for us as believers in Christ? So let's jump into it. In Hebrews chapter 2, we are in verse 5. Okay, it starts with this. For it is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. All right, so remember, we've been walking through this proof about who Jesus is, right? That Jesus is greater. And our first line of our proof is that Jesus is superior to the angels, right? And we talked for several weeks that because his name is greater, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's better than angels because he's worthy of worship. And the angels worship him because he's greater. And today, we're going to line up with that, the idea that Jesus is better because he became human, and we're going to dive into that here. Because it wasn't to angels that he subjected the world. It was for mankind that he created the plan of salvation. Right? Do you remember earlier um, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it said, How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How can we, if we ignore salvation, how are we going to escape the second death? We've got to pay attention. Remember, pay closer attention to the things that you have heard. And so we see here, it wasn't to angels he subjected the world. In fact, 1 Peter 1.12 says that the angels long to look into salvation. The angels are watching from heaven and go, you forgave him for that? Really? We messed up once. We're done. How can you keep giving them grace? You sent your son there? What? The angels long to look into our life. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Because we have value and we have purpose in his redemptive plan for the world. And so, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. By the way, that somewhere is Psalm 8, which we're going to look at in a second. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? And when I read this verse, for me, I go back to a time where I was in Colorado and I was hiking in the mountains, right? And I want to show you a picture of a place that I went. This is called Island Lake. Outside of Silverton, um, it's quite the hike to get to this place, but it's an incredible, beautiful place. Now, just so you know, I didn't just choose a stock photo, right? <laughs> I'm actually there, okay? Yeah, I know you're looking at me like, you hiked how far? But no, I don't really, right? Got there, survived that, and made through it. When you stand on top... Looking down on this lake, how foolish is it for you to go, I'm the king of the world. We're so little, aren't we? Like when you stand at Grant Swamp Pass and you look out over the Rocky Mountains and you go, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm itty bitty compared to God. Like this is his footstool. Who am I that God would even love me? Who, who am I that Jesus would actually die for me, no way. I'm just like, 
I'm just a guy. I'm just a, I'm just a person. How could God actually love me? And we tend to come into this place of humility. And if we're going to truly find our purpose and find our significance, the posture that we need is humility. Now, here's a definition of humility from um, Holman's Bible Dictionary. I love this definition. I think it's, it's so rich and has so much that we can pull out of it. In other words, how do you define humility? Here's a definition of it. It says, the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride. Woo! Isn't that good? Free from arrogance and pride. It doesn't stick to you. You're Teflon. It doesn't, it doesn't creep in to the back of your mind. You're free and having an accurate estimate of one's own worth. So not only are you free from arrogance, but you see yourself properly. Because listen, it is a false humility to hate yourself. I hope you can hear that today. It is not humility when you hate yourself and beat yourself up to try to make yourself lower. That is from the enemy. That's not from the Lord. It is a false humility to condemn yourself and punish yourself for your sins. That is not humility. That's a false humility. That is a twisted form of pride where you've made it all about yourself. True humility is being able to see yourself the way that God has made you. Because listen, if you hate yourself, how are you going to love others? If you hate yourself, how are you going to love God? And these are the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything that you have, and yet you're going to hate yourself. Ooh, man, I can't even imagine being God in heaven, seeing his creature that he's made so beautiful, hating themselves. Think of that as a parent. When you see your kids hating on themselves, how do you feel this righteous anger? Like, no, that is not true. Who said that about you? Why do we believe it about ourselves? Or you condemn yourself constantly because we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short all the time, but we condemn ourselves. Guess what? When you learn how to condemn yourself, what's going to flow out of the overflow of your heart towards others? Condemnation, judgment, critical spirit. If you want to truly be humble in Christ, understand how he's made you. That you are an incredible creation. You have a purpose, but stay free of arrogance. Be on that line. Here's the key. If you want to have the key to humility... It's think of the Lord. Have a proper view of God and what he's done for you. And be willing to submit to his will. This is true humility. Because then you're going to be walking his purposes and his plans for your life. This posture of humility is something that our world needs. Amen? Our world needs humility. Let's start it here in our own heart. Because then we're not easily wounded. Because we know who we are in Christ. We have the proper view. And out of the overflow of the love of God, we speak. Out of the overflow of God's grace for not condemning us, out of that overflow, we show grace to one another. Whew, this is the gospel. If we want to live it out, we have to live it out with humility. So that's what he's saying here. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Though at present, we do not see yet everything in subjection 
to him. And so he's quoting out of Psalm 8. Let's turn back to it because we want to see the kind of the context of what's going on here in Psalm 8. And we've read this before, but it's such a good psalm. We should read it again because I just love the start of it. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Nobody? Nobody remembers that song from back in the day? Okay. Don't worry. You get a chance at the end because it says it again. Okay. But it says, um, you have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes and to still the enemy and the avenger. Notice the echoes back to Genesis in this passage. Okay. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Have you been out there somewhere, um, out in Big Ben to see the stars? Have you been in Colorado when there's no other lights around and looked up at the stars and been like, whoa, amazing. Who am I in comparison to that? But the very handiwork that he took on the stars, he took on you. Have you thought about that? The very expertise that he created the world with, he made Adam out of the dust, that he has a purpose. And then, so then it says this, you have made him for a little while lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, thank you. A couple of y'all are awake. All right. So um, do we believe that the majestic Lord, worthy of our praise, cares for us? Right? And we see, why would he care for us? Well, because go back to Genesis chapter 1. What does he said? We're going to make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. And then he gave them to rule over the creeping things on the ground, all the things that have been made. He's given us dominion. So we get the benefits of Christ because we're made in his image. We get to walk like he walked and, and be able to be an example of him to the world. This is the good news of the gospel. And though we've been made like, God, like Christ for a little while, we've been made lower than the angels, do you realize that there's going to be a time where we get to judge the angels? So Christ, by being human, for a little while is now going to be crowned with glory and honor. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Right, if you look at that verse, look what it says about our position in the Lord. It says, do you not know that you are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? That there's going to be a day where our bodies that are broken and, and not right now are going to be made new. And in that day, we're going to be higher than the angels. We're going to have an opportunity to take the crowns and lay them at Jesus' feet. This is the good news of the gospel, what it means to live in eternal life. So he's pointing out here that Christ in becoming human is now going to be greater than the angels. Look what it says in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Just so we'll know it's not all about us. It's really talking about Jesus, right? So namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Whew, that should make you praise. Isn't that so good? Christ died, take, took death for us. What, what, what was the flavor of that? 
What was the flavor of this death? If you go back in Isaiah 53, because one of the things that's interesting in these passages through Hebrew, if you haven't noticed yet, the author of Hebrews expects us to know the Old Testament. Right? He expects us to know these things that have been spoken before. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Pay close attention to the things you've learned, right? So here we go. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. We just sang about that. And acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Christ took upon himself on the cross the iniquity and the sin of the world. And then he conquered death by rising again. Woo! That's the good news of the gospel. So he tasted death so that we don't have to. So we get to be with him in eternity, verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist. Remember that list of seven from chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? He is the creator of all things. That's going to be woven all the way through the book of Hebrews. So for to whom and by whom all things existed, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That Jesus Christ is the founder of of salvation. This word founder is in the Greek, is, it means first, the beginning, the origin of salvation. If you want to know where to start, it starts with Jesus. He is the only way. It starts there, and then you begin that walk down the path He has for you. It all starts with Him. He is the founder of salvation, made perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, and he gives us three quotes here from the Old Testament, okay? He says, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. And so, again, he's assuming we know where these are from. The first one is actually from Psalm 22. Do you remember Psalm 22? Believe it or not, you kind of know Psalm 22 because the first line of Psalm 22 is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that before? Upon the cross? Did you realize that upon the cross, he wasn't crying out to God because God had turned his back to him in any way? He was crying out Psalm 22. Because when you read Psalm 22, it reads like a script for the very thing that is playing out in front of them. Uh, let me show you. Let's go to Psalm 22. Let's start in verse 16 just to give ourselves some context for 
our verse 22, which is the one quoted here in that. But, but other verses like 7 and 8 talk about how they're mocking him. They're saying, let the Lord save him if he trusts in him. But we'll start in verse 16. See if any of this echoes of the cross. If Jesus really cried out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? To point them to this verse, see if this makes sense. Look what it says in 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Woo! Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before even crucifixion was a thing, David pins these words to say, hey, look, Jesus on the cross, they're going to cast lots for my clothing. Look what's happening. This very psalm that they all believe was about the Messiah is playing out in front of them, and they missed it. And we'll keep going. It says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. You, O Lord, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And that's our verse from there. Have you ever been in a situation where someone started singing the line of a song and you sang the rest of it? Right? And I I would do that, but I've already sung enough in the service. So, um, But imagine that. This is what's happening. He's quoting this verse. I wonder if they remembered the verse after. Look at The verse after, remember, this is a book to the Hebrews, okay? So again, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, that's the Hebrews, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. In other words, glorify him, stand in awe of the one who they cast their lots for his clothing. Stand in awe, glorify him whose hands were pierced for our transgressions. Praise him. This is the gospel message from the Old Testament that the Hebrews should know. And this author is pointing it out to them, saying, hey, don't forget, God is our source of salvation. Look what it says in this next quote. In in Hebrews it says, I will put my trust in him. This is out of Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Woo! That's a good verse for the wall at home. Do you, do you believe this verse? That God is our salvation. Why do we fear? Why do we fear, man, if God is our salvation? He is our source. He's the origin. He's the founder of salvation. Woo! So good. Okay, let's go to verse 14. We've got to finish this sometime. Um, all right, it says, Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. Now, this is a vital verse because a lot of people, do you realize Jesus was a real person? An actual person who walked on this earth, right? This is what we call the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh, that he was an actual person. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't believe this. In fact, early in the church, there were two heresies about Christ that were very prevalent, right? The first one was docetism, um, which was this idea that um, Jesus was God, but he wasn't actually flesh. In other words, he was God, but he was kind of this apparition or this kind of like um, 
make-believe hologram-looking person. He appeared real, but he wasn't real. And this is where Gnosticism comes from and all kinds of this secret knowledge and all these beliefs come from this idea that, that Jesus was all spirit, not flesh. But then the opposite side of that is true as well. This is Arianism or this idea that Jesus was some sort of superhero, that the word became flesh, was this superhuman, but he wasn't God. He wasn't actually God in the flesh. God gave him power, but he was just the first superhero that when he came out of the womb, he's like, right, superhero pose, that's who he was. He's Superman, can't get hurt, no one could hurt him. He couldn't sin because it's not even possible for him to do that, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The blood of Christ flowed out of his side. Does that sound like the superhero? But this idea came out that he was not really God and that we could be just like him. And we'll talk deeper about this when we keep getting through the book of Hebrews. But we believe he came in the flesh. Look what it says again in verse 14. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Woo, good news. Through the cross, Satan defeated, was defeated by Christ. Isn't that good news? The defeat of Satan. That means that death has been defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no more fear of death because of what Christ did for us in the flesh. He died for us. And then beyond that, he also defeated sin. It says this in the next part in verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to life long slavery. We no longer have to be a slave to sin. He has broken the chains so that we can truly walk in freedom. This is what Galatians 5 verse 1 says. How, if I were to ask you, how many of you want to walk in freedom from shame and guilt and all those things, we would all raise our hand. Yes, I want to walk in freedom. Well, submit to the Lord. Give your heart over to him. It's for freedom that he set us free. Why do we run back into our sin? We're set free, and we're like, no, I really like it in the prison cell. Let me just jump back in there real quick. They bring me three meals a day. Bed's not too comfortable, that's okay. Why do we run back into that same sin instead of walking in the freedom that cross has bought for us? So those things, guilt and shame and self-hate, that search for significance, they all end at the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. And then verse 16 gives us sort of a conclusion. It, it wraps everything up for us, and it pushes us towards what we're going to talk about next week. Let's, this is our closing verses right here. It says this in verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us. The offspring, the, the humankind, he, he helps and he saves. Therefore he has had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this is where we're going to go next. We're going to talk about how he's greater than Moses and how he, he's the great high priest, that he is the perfect sacrifice for us. That's where we're heading next in this Hebrew study. But look at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. That's good news. Jesus is able to help you. 
even in those temptations, even when you turn back to that sin, he's like, no, walk with me. So this is the good news. If you want to find your significance, you want to find your value and purpose is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you came in the flesh and died for us. Lord, help us day by day to celebrate your death and resurrection on the cross. Never losing, losing sight, Lord, of what you did for us. Lord, I thank you that in you we find our value and our purpose. Help us to live in that value and purpose today. Lord, without you, where would we be? But I know without you, I would be lost. But Lord, I thank you that I've been found. So, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that you will be glorified and that we'll remember how good you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, today we have an opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so what I'd like to do is kind of give you some instructions, and we have Pastor Rudy and Pastor Chad to help you. If you um, have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to um, take of the elements and remember what Jesus has done for us. So the way that this section is going to work, you will walk out from Rudy, come up, and then follow Rudy to go back to your seat. So those two sections are walking out and then coming to get your element and following Rudy. Same thing with Chad. You're going to walk out and then follow Rudy. So he's, they're going to tell you, they're going to guide you as which row goes first. So that way we can try to, it's a packed house, praise the Lord. So we're trying to help you get through here. Y'all can go ahead and start uh, getting up. Now this is this, this challenging side, but I believe you can do it. So these two aisles are your return aisles. So in the middle, you pick whichever you want. Just skip that first aisle to come up. Go to the outside aisle and come up, okay? And then you're going to come back through these middle aisles, okay? So y'all can go ahead and come. So, okay, and don't get up until Rudy gets to you. Okay, yes, okay. All right, so go ahead, and y'all go ahead and make your way forward. So go all the way out. This, there you go, and then come through. Grab your elements. Yes, and then you'll come back through the middle.
really is a beautiful thing what Jesus did and that he, he died on the cross for us. Um, he paid the price for our sins, all of them. And he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And as Chris was saying, uh, we're to live in that abundant life. And I think it's just amazing that Jesus would give us an opportunity to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. My challenge to you this morning as we partake of the, the elements here and remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you and has done for me is that we would take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to help you forgive that particular person that's been so hard to forgive. I would ask you to also take this moment to remember that you are forgiven and if you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, this is your opportunity to to confess that because to not forgive yourself is to say that Jesus wasn't enough. In church, he's more than enough. So let's pray right now. I just want to give you a moment to really release that in the name of Jesus. for us covers us of all our sin, past, present, and future. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the price that you paid, your life given for us. Be honored, be glorified in this time as we remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. May you go forth this week knowing that you are His beloved. 
God bless you.